All right, man, thank you guys. Can we just say thank you guys and give one round of applause for all these guys? So I've been so blessed and encouraged by all the things you guys have spoken from the Word of God, and so I'm going to get right into this. Um, can I call you JW out of this? Is that... Is that <laughs> J.W., no, uh, J. Wright, this one kind of keying on some of the things you said here uh, and yours. So aren't there other valid ways to structure church leadership? I mean, is elder-led the new craze like the prayer of Jabez or, or one of those other things? Where will these elder-led churches be in 5, 10, 20 years? Oh, that's a great question. I would say uh, an elder-led church in 5 to 10 years, to take this in reverse order, is going to be one of the few churches that is rightfully expositing and demonstrating the scriptures uh, within its community. Uh, I believe um, there are um, congregational churches, there are uh, key leader-led churches uh, that are in existence. They're making a difference. It's great to see. Um, but we are plagued by problems and scandals in the church. That's putting it mildly, in my opinion. And um, what we've been instructed and called to do in God's word is to have a plurality of elders in the church. And so if we were to direct our churches towards that, I, sh I share Todd's conviction that this is the hill worth dying on. Uh, that um, we must give ourselves wholly and entirely to this. Uh, it's not a fad. Uh, the Bible's never been a fad. In fact, what we find is that the scriptures have moved in communities where people have returned to the scriptures. Because a community brings the scripture back in doesn't make it a fad. The scripture's been here all along. And that's how I conclude that one. Good. And just a follow-up question for any of you guys, because Todd, you kind of hit on this also uh, in your last session, kind of about the history of the church. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the young, young lady, 50 years old in your church, uh, or 50 years of the prior church. So it seems like a whole lot of churches are just different in this regard with the single pastor model, deacons, committees, trustees, so on and so forth. How could so many churches have missed it? Uh, it's a good question and probably one that you have to go case by case with. Just you, you might just ask churches how they came to the structures in those individual churches. Uh, just because I don't, we, we will never know what was going on in the minds and hearts of, of all the churches that have different models. We, we, we get a sense, I think, in, in the last, maybe in the 20th century, that a lot of churches became more pragmatic uh, just or, or kind of the church growth movement started to happen. So just everyone just started to go with what works, what's efficient. Uh, a lot of good ideas came from the corporate world, but just maybe were wrongly applied to the local church. So that, that's probably a large part of it. I know what seems to have happened in Baptist churches in in North America. It kind of the single pastor model may have been born out of a good thing. There was a a great spreading of churches. Uh, all across the North America in, in the 1800s, and just a lot of churches uh, just started having, late 1700s, early 1800s, lots of churches, and Baptist churches, Methodist, Presbyterian churches, but particularly with Baptist churches, 
if you were a Baptist church in Europe in the 1600s, you would have held to multiple elders. But when it came to America and the spreading of churches just started happening, which is a good thing, lots of people coming to Christ, and it just seems like the, the number of qualified men started to spread thinner as churches started, growing, started uh, reproducing faster. So what you had is single elders happening in a lot of churches and just over time seemed to have become the norm. So that's my best guess. So, so what I'm gathering is that this isn't some new his, uh, fad or craze or something that's only being here, but it actually has historical roots and, more importantly, biblical roots. How um, many would it surprise to know that the very first Southern Baptist president, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, wrote extensively on this subject? I was surprised when I learned that. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Good. Thank you, guys. Uh, next question. Next question. Um, so we've heard all the pros. You guys have, have given us many pros, if you put it that way. What are the cons to this type of leadership, if any, or is that even the right question for any of you? I think there's benefits to following Scripture. Um, a truncated gospel, walk an aisle, raise your hand, repeat after me, go to heaven when you die, live any way you want, has over decades now become the norm in church. Uh, we have many wonderful Christian people who are undiscipled disciples. So if the church falls down in making disciples of Christ, it's very likely to also fall down in making leaders, helping to build leaders. And you end up with a challenge, uh, much like what Todd was just talking about. I believe a resurgence is happening in the commitment of churches to truly make disciples, fully committed followers of Christ. And when that happens, you're going to see that God has actually given to people certain gifts. Each and every one of us has a gift. And uh, those gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. And you then, as a person, are given as a gift to the church. Ephesians 4 makes it very clear. But one of the gifts that he gives is a plurality of elders to every church. It just needs to be something that we begin to see as we see those gifts develop through discipleship. Just a couple of cons that come to mind also. Uh, we're still all sinners. So no matter what structure you have in your church, even if it's the biblical structure, we can mess it up. We're sinners. So I don't know if that's a con. That's just a reality, no matter what polity you have. So we've got to be prayerful. No matter what, even if you get the right structures in place, we'll still mess it up if we're not dependent on Christ. Also, one thing that I maybe even saw in my own heart for a time and see it sometimes in, in some other churches, pastors, uh, uh, because it's kind of a, a growing movement back to maybe his, historical uh, Baptist churches a couple hundred years ago and what we see as the biblical model. Anytime that kind of happens, like there's a normal thing going on here, and then by God's grace, a few churches become faithful and start, start leading movements of faithfulness. It's so easy to get prideful in, when, when you're in that group. So it's, it's very easy. It, like we are one of about 70 Southern Baptist churches on Oahu, and out of those 70, there's about five of us who have a plurality of elders. It's very easy for us to get prideful over the 65 because we think we're getting our ideas from the Bible. We think they're getting their ideas from the corporate world. And it's very easy to get prideful. And that is something we have to be careful of. Yeah. So it sounds like one of the biggest cons is common in no matter what polity or governance you have, which is sin. And sin infects everything we do. 
So uh, thank you for that. And I guess that goes back to your session where you said, keep close watch on yourselves, Paul says to us, right? And to the flock. Amen. Well, thank you. That was super encouraging. Um, all right, next question. Our deacons are kind of like elders. So uh, can we just call them elders? Please don't. <laughs> Um, when, when something is like something, the use of the simile uh, presents dangerous presumptions. Um, you know, uh, our, our effort in distinguishing the difference is very similar to how we distinguish the difference between a male and a female um, in many other areas. We want to use the scriptures as our, as our basis point in describing everything that we do. And so the simile gets us in a lot of trouble when we say, well, it's close. It's like that, um, where the Bible is so clear to distinguish between the office of an elder and a deacon. So let's use the Bible descriptives to keep us separated. And if we do, we just we stay out of the weeds. If, if one looks like another, I, I believe Pastor Todd had shared, if you, if you have a group of deacons that have been acting as elders, maybe you need to make them elders if that's how they're acting. But if they're not acting as elders, by all means, don't make them an elder if they're really deacons. Um, the descriptives are really clear in, in, in the pastoral letters in Timothy and Titus. You, you can't go wrong if we just use those descriptives. Good, thank you. No, I say you taught on this, so yeah. Yeah, maybe. Oh, sorry. Maybe if that question, if what it, if what they mean is, uh, do we try to make our current deacons who are functioning like elders? They're biblically qualified as elders. Everything about them says they're elders. If what if the if what we mean is uh, so that let's go through the current structure to congregationally vote them in as elders, and then after that we'll look for deacons to vote in as deacons. If that's what the question means, then good. Yeah, I think you should do that. If that does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the question meant, though. So I agree with everything past, with that, that the JW over there said. Yeah. You agree with the JWs. <laughs> it's going on a website. Too late, already tweeted. No. Um, <laughs> Well, so if that's kind of the case, we don't want to confuse terms at the same time. Uh, what is, can you maybe just elaborate briefly, what is the relationship between elders and deacons? Well, we're, Todd taught on this very clearly. First, all you have to do is just read 1 Timothy 3. It's very clear. It delineates two offices in Scripture, the office of deacon and the office of elder, both with specific qualifications, similar their qualifications of character, their qualifications uh, of identifiable uh, maturity. The primary difference that I see is the uh, spiritual gift of, of being able to bring God's Word in truth to life. That doesn't assume that deacons don't know God's Word, but it is not necessarily a gifting that they've been given to communicate and to lead and feed and guide and protect the congregation through the use of God's Word being the primary difference. But both are necessary, and in a healthy congregational church, uh, both sit in, in that illustration that we showed you underneath the church, serving the church. Both are given the same descriptives, 
in terms of slaves of Christ, as we all are slaves to one another under Christ. So um, they are both to carry out that servantship mindset, but there's different roles there that seem to be very clearly described in those offices in 1 Timothy 3. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to kind of get down into some more nuts and bolts times types of questions. Um, so we've got a few kind of different ideas here. How do elders, so that's with deacons, how do elders interact with committees? Do they run committees? What about this office of trustee or church councils that is present in some churches? Maybe just that kind of uh, gamut of different offices that you guys have seen. Number one, uh, the office of elder is so clearly taught in the Bible, you want to make sure you get that one right, then a lot of things fall into place after that. So that's the main thing. You get that one right, it'll help you get the office of deacon right, they're the lead servants of the church, it'll just help you get that one right. And then if you teach every member ministry, that every member must be serving. So the deacons are just the exemplary servants that we want to that we're, we're commanded to, to put forth as, as, as officers in the church, but, but they're examples to the flock. So everybody's supposed to be serving. So if you get, you get elders right, you get deacons right, you get elders, uh, every member serving right, all of a sudden the, the need for all kinds of other extra biblical offices becomes uh, less of a need. Or it just becomes, you, you won't even think about them that much. So... I don't know if that's dodging the question, but it's so it's so so much good happens when we get elders, deacons, and members right. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. Can I, yeah, I guess I should say something. If in the question we're also saying, what about X Y Z committee? If what we're saying is I'm on that committee and I still want to be important. The idea that you have elders and deacons doesn't minimize the importance of anybody. And the fact that you have elders and deacons uh, in a, as the offices doesn't mean you can't form committees for purposes. When we wrote our constitution, one of the things we wrote is that we will form co committees, but we have no standing committees. They, for, form a, they fulfill a function, and when that function is not necessary, we no longer uh, follow through on that, and they change. But again, it follows the idea of everybody serving um, and a lot of people just say, well, this is a position I've held. We've always done it that way. If I'm in this particular position, what about me? Um, again, just think through those questions of why you're asking yourself that. And if we say, hold it, we're all servants in Christ, then uh, usually that goes away. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and so if I heard rightly, you said you had uh, 20. Had over 22 standing 22. committees required in our Constitution, but none of them defined. So... That wasn't all that helpful. And now you have a... Zero. Zero. All well, right. as needed, we'll form different groups for various purposes. Good. Yeah. Good. Now, do the elders, uh, you guys had mentioned multiple plurality of elders. Uh, do they report to the senior pastor? What, what do they do? What is their relationship? Is that even a proper way to phrase it? <laughs> uh, we don't use the word senior pastor. I dodge it every time I can. And... Um, I'm just Jay at our church. Um, when was the last time you walked in the church and introduced, hi, I'm Deacon Joe. I'm Sunday school teacher Susie. You're Susie and you're Joe. We're part of the body of Christ. The titles and all of those things aren't quite so 
important when we see ourselves as servants. Um, so we don't have a senior role because we believe the elders are one among many. That doesn't mean there aren't responsibilities that are different, and we have the difference between vocational and non-vocational elders. We have some who are given the responsibility by the congregation for the primary. My, my title is actually uh, lead teaching elder, but one among many. And so that's something we have to continue to sort of fight because it's a human nature thing to see some elevation when there's a title or a senior this or whatever. Uh, we're just pretty cautious about that. But the church does identify certain roles and is capable of doing that. And then we play those roles, but um, uh, we really fight against that kind of thing. Yeah. I'd say in my history, there's a, a, a willingness and an openness for mutual submission. Uh, amongst, the, amongst the elders, we, we work uh, tirelessly to ensure we're never forcing hierarchies. Um, and that is done in our, our conversation, it's done in agendas. Uh, for example, uh, our previous elder meetings, um, we always rotated uh, the leading elder who would uh, guide, facilitate the agenda, the meetings, discussion topics, uh, and that would rotate to always ensure there wasn't an appearance of a domineering force. And so that uh, opened up some other questions that kind of get down to this kind of practical. So who does the preaching? Is there a primary preacher in this type of plurality of elders? Um, you mentioned vocational and non-vocational. Uh, do, does one have more authority than the other? Those similar types of questions. Uh, I'll, I'll just read 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well consider, be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So that, that one verse actually teaches us a lot about what life at Eph the Ephesus church was like. There, there are all the elders oversee, or that that just be a way to interpret what rule well means. Uh, and if, if you see that, that an elder is overseeing very well, they're just, they're, they all should be doing it well or else they wouldn't be an elder. But if they're just one, just especially has affected your life well. That's the that's the one you want to be, you, you want to be giving double, even double. So they all deserve honor, but you want to give double honor to the ones who are overseeing well. And then even among those, especially those who labor, who just we we all know from First Timothy three that all elders need to be able to teach. But that doesn't mean all of them are exercising their gift of teaching as as frequently as every other elder of the church. So some are laboring, you know, in, in our modern lingo, we would probably say that it sounds like there was some who were <coughs> full-time staffers in, in the church that, that we, we want to, because we're benefiting from the, the teaching of the word, uh, we, we want to even give, give more of our resources to, to the ones who are, who are putting in more hours of labor. Uh, and then even among them, there are those who labor in preaching and teaching. So all elders must be able to teach. We might not even be in 100% agreement on, on the panel here, but it's, I think there is a biblical distinction between preaching and teaching. So I think the, the most frequent preacher in the church needs to be one of the elders, but we want to uphold the, the primacy of the preaching of the word as, one, as the main way that every Christian grows on earth. And so God doesn't gift every elder with the same gift of preaching, 
But that doesn't mean that they don't, they're not able to still open up, handle the word faithfully. So just preaching is just a little bit different in my mind from, from teaching. I, th I think you even see a distinction in that verse. So it's not a requirement at our church for every elder to, to be able to fill the pulpit, even though uh, I occasionally will have uh, one of our other elders is very gifted in preaching, so he regularly takes the pulpit. Uh, and then one of the other elders, he likes to preach. He's not as gifted in preaching, they're all good teachers of the word, but just preaching, Lord's Day gathering, he likes to preach, I don't think he's as gifted, he doesn't think he's as gifted, but he likes to do it, so I have him fill the pulpit as well occasionally. The other elder in our church, he hates preaching, he likes teaching, he likes Bible studies, he's our regular Sunday school teacher, one of our regular Sunday school teachers, he hates getting up on Sunday morning in front of everybody and, and just the, the ministry of proclamation. He's asked me to never ask him to preach. But he always is willing to teach in different other areas of life. So some of that has to go, you have to think about the distinction between teaching and preaching, but you should not think of elders as less of, of your shepherds just because they're not up in front on Sunday mornings doing the proclamation uh, that you normally have hired men uh, hired men to, to fill that, that role. Good. And then the last question, um, for our time's sake, 1230, um, who decides who's qualified to be elders? And then kind of the second part of that question. And then from that slate, does the church choose or elect that person? So who decides who's qualified to be elders would be the first? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, I would add on what Jay has mentioned. I believe he, sh he read the verse as well. I believe Todd had mentioned it. Uh, since I didn't, I'll go. Um, you know, it, when, when a church and a majority of people in the church are in tune to the lordship of Jesus, that it's his church, he's the senior pastor, it's obvious. I, I really believe it is, it's that evident. It, you don't force it, um, it's harmonious, and it's obvious. But with that comes then a need, I believe, of other people to affirm those. Uh, and what I mean is for men and women to approach people and to say, it is very evident to me you are an elder and that God is setting you apart in this church. And I believe that is a necessary role. It's almost as if how the heart sends blood throughout the body, that every member that senses, gosh, this person, God is setting them apart as an elder, that you approach those people. You don't leave this as a guessing game, that you approach them and say, I just see it's just evident that the Spirit of God is setting you apart as an elder. I believe that's a necessary step of faith as well. Amen. Well, thank you all again so much. They're here on their, uh, on their days off, many of them, just here giving us their time, their efforts, uh, not getting anything in return for it as far as pay or anything. So can we just one more time again, thank you guys so much. And then I'm going to pray and thank the Lord, and we will be dismissed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we 
thank you that you have not left your bride without uh, faithful men that you have raised up, you have gifted, you have appointed, and you have purchased with the blood of your son to to lead and shepherd your flock until our great and good shepherd returns. And so, Lord, we ask that you would guide our directions through the various churches that are represented here to biblical faithfulness uh, in pursuit of the glory of God across Maui and across these islands. Lord, would you do this? Would you do it? We need you to do this massive work. And I pray that you would restore health to many churches across this island, Lord Jesus, that we would follow your pattern, your design as given in your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.